Well, you you're just with yourself. Like yeah, you got you, you've obviously fucked up. You're in there for a reason. How long and does it take you to adjust? You reckon to not having the, uh, the dopamine here, bro? I reckon phone. I reckon probably a good good week. Yeah, good week, and then you then you'll find yourself you start to the human like the human brain's pretty amazing. You find your way find yourself way natural ways to like distract yourself or yeah. you'll come up with little routines that basically you're not needing it you know what i mean yeah. so it's definitely doable yeah. but it's just that yeah probably about a week i reckon all right benny let's get into this bud let's do it bro the podcast is supported by cmbt nutrition fuel your passion you're doing that work on the mats you need that pre you need those bcaa's you need that protein hit for recovery afterwards you need a snack these guys have the best bars going around my favorite is the salted caramel trusted by the 145 ufc champion of the world Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Head over to cmbt.com.au and fuel your passion. We get to the point. To the point. Benny Farah. <laughs> Hello, mate. How are you? I'm uh, pretty ecstatic to be in this position. I knew one day we would be in this position. We talked about it, didn't we? A lot. Um, but it was just a matter of time, right? Time, time, but yeah, probably, probably, I guess, me uh, being in a position to be able to talk, I guess. That's yep. probably the biggest thing, you know, like, you know, we, uh, it's pretty special for me too, mate, because uh, obviously, you know, we're, we've been really close for a long time, you know, and to actually be able to sit here in a position where I'm well enough to actually speak about the things I had for so long yeah, and to see you doing so well and, um, you know, it's it's pretty special for me too. So. Yeah, 100%, mate. Now, I want to um, I want to attack this conversation in a, um, in a way where we're look at going back, right? So yep. from where we are now. So I have to say, mate, I love you. I'm so fucking proud of you. Um, and what are we? Eleven weeks sober. Yeah, bro. We're yeah, we're um, we're ba- we're just uh, just under uh, just under three months, man. So yeah, yeah, including sort of the detox part before you get in there and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah, about about three months. It's um, it's actually incredible. Like you, you don't realize um, how special something is until you see someone who you love and care about dearly and who you've got this amazing connection with. And a real hard part for me was most people who know this podcast, I come from an addictive family. I come from, you know, being born into a world with drugs. And when you see people that you love and care about, um, your first instinct is just to, you want to be there for them, but it's almost like reliving trauma. So you've got to push them away. Um, but I'm I'm happy and I'm you know proud of myself one for 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 st- sticking by you and standing behind you. There was times where I had to to push you away, and I guess that's the that's what makes this time and this moment so much more special because there was times where I was like, "Fuck, I don't know, I don't know if he's going to be here anymore." Mm. Um, and you know, we'll go through this journey, but I want to address the positive first. Um, again, so proud of you. I love you dearly, and. Um, when you channel shit in the right way, it's amazing the results that you get from it. It is dull and it's um yeah, it's uh 
it's pretty as i said it's really special for me to be here talking about it mate i guess um i'd always i'd always wanted to be in this position where i could you know um being here and doing and, and acting and actually speaking from a position of um honesty um you know i think that comes with actually looking in the mirror and and owning a f owning you know a lot uh, owning a lot of my defaults my character defects you know and i've still got them and they'll continue but working myself as a person you know that was a first and foremost and i've only got you to thank for pushing me there mate because yeah. you know you and a, you and probably a handful of people including my uh my beautiful family and the ones close to me you know they um you know they got me to the position where they're always supportive you know they were never really pushy and and you know this isn't my first crack at recovery you know a lot of people think that um you know i've, I've had cracks in the past you know and uh and and the main the main common denominator in all of all of my fallouts with my relationships and why at times I've gone backwards you know when I've been good is that um, you know basically uh, I'm an addict yeah you know and and, and I'd, I'd go back to that default mechanism of you know substance or alcohol or um, behaviours that didn't treat me well didn't serve me a purpose and you know. I, I, when you when you're going back to that continually, even when you are well, you go back to the same person, you yeah. know. And and well, it's a it's a human human characteristic and nature that you default to your safest setting, and yeah. if that's your safest setting, that's your safest setting. Yeah. And again, you know, like I'm just I I I feel so I don't know enlightened and feel so much euphoria to be sitting here and having this conversation with you. So for the people who don't know you who you are um give yourself an introduction uh and let's start from the beginning yeah okay so um <clears throat> i guess probably uh i'm 35 years of age i um i grew up in newcastle um what's your name ben farrah my name is <laughs> <laughs> benjamin john farrah actually if you're speaking to mum um okay so yeah i'm uh yeah 35 years of age um in another life when i say that basically um as of five years ago, I grew up in, in Newcastle, um, went to school, St. Teresa's in New Lambton, St. Pius in Adamstown, St. Francis Saver in Hamilton. Really, really good family, really decent family, well known in Newcastle. Um, not, you know, not, not from a wealthy point of view or anything like that, but just, you know, I've got a massive family. So my mum's one of ten, dad's one of five, my uncle played sport, my dad played sport, my cousin's a wallaby, um, you know, so... It's it's that you know fairly fairly well known in that regard you know really really good decent family you know and and, and even to the point where my next door neighbour actually played <laughs> New South Wales country with John with your old man true story yeah. true story yeah. yeah so um yeah so I, I I had really good schooling um I was never never the smartest kid though um as we laugh about now you know <laughs> I think you jam me up about me head knocks it every now and then. Um, but yeah, I, I um yeah I went to school. I enjoyed school, but I was never I never overly extended myself. I was good at English and I was good at um, PE. Yep. So you know, I really really enjoyed that. Um, went to school, finished year ten, went on to year twelve. UAI, I can't even remember what it was, but I remember it was terrible. Uh, you know, it was, it was pretty ordinary. <laughs> um, and I really loved footy. Really loved football, and I never really made any any rep teams growing up you know what i mean I, I'd, I'd always have to push myself um i was in and out i was in newcastle rep team sort of as a 15 16 year old but i was always 
I was always probably that pretty awkward kid that was sort of like, he had a little bit of skill, but he wasn't that talented in terms of physically or that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but I just had a drive. I had, I had a real drive, you know, I'd, someone told me to get up every morning and go onto a hill, go onto the hills. I'd get up every morning, I'd go onto the hills and then I'd run back home. You know, I'd do over and above what I had to. And that's, and that's something I think my old man and my uncle Andrew, who played for Australia and State of Origin, that sort of thing growing up, that's what they instilled in me that, you know, you really had to train and work hard. My whole, my old man's a, a pretty hard man. He's, you know, a lot of people know him and um, he'd give you the shirt off his back, but he's just Johnny, you know, Johnny Farrow, as he's known, he's a hard man. So, um, you know, God love him. He, um, he really inst instilled that work ethic and that drive in me from a young age, you know, and, um, and I finished school and, and wanted to pursue footy, but my mum um, was adamant that I needed something behind me and, and to the point where I got an a, a offer from Parramatta in Sydney. So she looked into it and so did my, my dad and we went down and had a look anyway. Um, I was to live with the Horro family, which is uh, as a Kiwi family. They're fairly famous. Um, Justin Horro, you yep. probably know. Um, yeah, so I lived with him and amongst others, Jared Hayne, um, Chris Ninenu and a fair few guys who obviously kicked on a big thing. So... They were like my, my um, adopted family, my foster family in Sydney when I moved. So I was seven to, I finished school, I was 18 years of age and moved to Sydney. I worked as a teacher's aide at um, Fairfield Patrician Brothers my first year and then in de development with Parramatta Eels the year after. Um, so that was a position where basically you're training part-time, you're not full-time football, you're, but you're training part-time, you're actually having to create a living for yourself, but you're getting used to them mornings and afternoons of training. You know what I mean? What yeah. the big boys do, what the full-timers do. So it's a really, really good way to do things. And the, and the Knights, um, which I'm involved with now, they're starting to develop that pathway. And the really good clubs do it, Penrith and that sort of thing. So it's a, it's a really good way to do it. Anyway, long story short, I played there for two years. Um, we ha had some had some good results. I started to develop a little bit as a footballer um, and get an opportunity to go. My first full-time contract was at North Queensland, Cowboys in Townsville. Um so I was still single at the time. I'd moved down by myself to Parramatta by myself. Um, moved to moved to Townsville. Actually had a partner at the time. Um, so she came up with me. Um, and and yeah, basically that was my full time my first full time contract. So I was nineteen years of age, went up there and that was I think that was the moment where it clicked. You know, I really clicked. Football started to really turn for me. Yeah. Um, and just to give people a bit of an understanding of first full time contract. Um, yep. There's three contracts in the NRL. Yep. Um, you have your train-on players, you have your development players, and you have your, your, your um, full squad 24 20, sign-on. Yep. Um, that means that you know, you're being paid to play football when you're in that 24 squad. Yep. Um, so that's a big, big deal for what a 19, 20-year-old. Yeah, yeah, huge deal. Yeah. Huge. Absolutely. So, and, um, so just to kind of give reference to the kind of – like, a, like that's a big honor to yeah. receive that contract. Yeah, it was huge, mate. It was, and and basically, as if you can imagine, that's that's what I started as a young fella trying to achieve. So your first full time contract, being that's when you, you know, they talk about being a footballer after you play fifty odd first grade games. But I guess you're probably considered a full time player when you first get your sign your first contract. You know, so that's yeah. a, that's a really big thing. Yeah, something I, I really really wanted to do for a long time. The thing was, it was two thousand k away. It was in Townsville. Yeah. And I was moving up there by myself as a 19-year-old and um, and still always had a lot of support, man. That was never an issue with me in terms of family and, clo and you know, close friends and that sort of thing. But the logistics of it all, when, you, when you're up there, 
it's it's fairly remote, you know, like and and it was it was sort of especially in the early two thousands. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it was definitely. So I went up there and um, it's a big military town, Townsville, right? Big, big military town, yep. yeah, yeah, big military town, Re- good, really, really good place, you know. Um, but yeah, big military town. So I went up there and um, and that was when the Cowboys were. They were the <laughs> they were the guns. So you had Thurston, you had Luke O'Donnell, Carl Webb, Matty Bowen, like some names you rattle off now. I just you shake your head, you know. <laughs> so. My first year up there, when I, I made my debut when I was 19 years of age. So, um, and the year, my first year, we went all the way to the pre- preliminary final. So that's like the game before the grand final, which at the time, you know, people say, oh, I took it for granted, you know. I did. I thought that's what NRL was. Every year you're going to make, you know, make, make finals. <laughs> Lo and behold, that's the longest I ever heard in my career. Didn't go any further. Um, now, so, were, you, were, you start, yeah. were you starting, Benny? Yeah, stage? I was. I was, yeah. um, I was sort of a bit in and out. And, uh, and, but, yeah, I was, towards the end of the year I was starting. I was playing centre. Um, if you can imagine, most people who know me, I'm not a big dude. I'm just under 90 kilos. I'm just under six foot. You know, you look at the guys now, the guys who I train each day, um, you know, coming up through the grades Monsters. now. Oh, mate, hey, <laughs> honestly, they are huge. And and it's, um, yeah, it's sort of, I think, think back now and just think to myself, lucky I don't play against these kids. Yeah, you know? yeah, 100%. <laughs> but yeah, they're, um, they're freaks. So well, um, well, to put that into perspective, like my last year of school, I was 100 kilos at six foot two playing yeah. centre. So yeah, yeah, hey. Like Benny was a lot smaller than me yeah. physically wise. Yeah. But Yep. You know, with that with that mindset. And just to paint a bit of a picture, Benny, if you weren't in that first grade side, yep. were you playing like cu- cutters? or Yeah. Were, yeah. yeah, so you were, Dale. You were, um, at the time up there, they had something called the Young Guns, which was literally the reserve grade team for Townsville. Yep. Townsville's a really massive sporting place. So um, if you can imagine, like, you'd get huge crowds even before reserve grades. It's sort of coming back. This NRL's starting to transition a little bit back to that now in terms of, get that feel of 20s reserve grade first grade yeah which would be awesome you know that's what it's they about. should have never ever got rid of nah, reserve I, grade yeah and if and i guess probably a few things with the with the 20s and stuff the toyota cup has changed that in their mindset around that and I, uh, to an extent i do understand that but yeah. um i think going back to the old days would be good but um yeah so yeah I, you know played um played there in the preliminary final i was there for another one and a half years um and, and what was it like playing with Jonathan Thurston? It was amazing. It was amazing. Like you knew at the time how special he was. He was daily end player of the year. He was Australia halfback or like five eight maybe at the time he was. But he was a freak. He was a genuine freak. And and one thing about him is, is a lot of people look at him and think, oh, he's just naturally talented. He the stories you hear about him, in terms of his training ethic, his his commitment to excellence, trying to get better every day, they're all true. Yeah. He he was like he he he's him till still this day, um, is a real special person and, and a good person too. You know, a really really decent person. Um, had a bit of stuff got when he was a younger fella coming through when he first started, and but really grew as a man. You know, and um, that was a really good crop there. I was still I was still um, still keeping contact with a fair few of them, and they're really good people up there. So I remember that fondly. Yeah, but, um, that's awesome, man. Yeah, but I um, because not many people get to say that that they got to play. And you know, being a full time family with JT, it's pretty special, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You look at, you look at some of the best players ever in terms of like the highlights and stuff, and he'd be up the top. You know, 100%. absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Now, North Queensland, um, that was a you know obviously a ride of a lifetime, and you look back now and go, fuck, you know, I take that for granted because mm. you know, you're playing with the arguably could be the ninth immortal. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, JT, you know, love him or hate him, you know, he was phenomenal. And you got to remember that guy come in, what, you know, 65 kilos, ringing wet at the Bulldogs, you absolutely. know. Like, yeah. it's crazy to see that. Yeah. Um, now, the, the next part of your journey um, that brought you back to Sydney, uh, can you share some yeah, light on yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I, I moved back to uh, moved back to Sydney. Got the opportunity. My manager was his name was George Mimas. Um, really, really good guy, and um, sort of yeah, he he helped my career a lot. Anyway, he rang me one day and said, um, "There's an opportunity at Manly um, in Sydney," and it was, it was sort of like it was during preseason training, so it was a bit of a random one um, for whatever reason. I don't really ever know, but. I think there was a bit of movement there on the star on the playing staff and for whatever reason as happens with clubs you know stuff happens pretty quickly anyway the opportunity came up to go to move that down to manly was really good the cowboys i was quite comfortable there we were building a pretty good team but in saying that too um brett stewart had just got injured and there was an opportunity to go down and and play a bit of fullback which something i really really like but obviously when matty bowen's at the cowboys you're not playing fullback. <laughs> <laughs> you're Doesn't not playing who fullback, you are. No. yeah um so, yeah, I uh, I had some had some news around that time that my mum had got quite sick in terms of um she she's battled cancer on and off for a long time. My mum, she's a soldier anyway. She one of, um, one of the best, one of the best, the yeah. best. Um, anyway, so yeah, she um she got some 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 pretty heavy news around that time that she was she was going to undergo some treatment anyway. I think I uh I th- from memory I think they did a story on it or something but it, yeah it was sort of fairly well known at the time but I ended up moving back down for that reason pretty much along with the footy side just so I was in Manly yes it was in Newcastle but it was quite it was a lot closer than 2000k away you know so moved down there best decision I ever made Manly amazing club I still love them to death if the opportunity was ever there again I'd be there in a flash in terms of any capacity you know they're a great club great people still really got a lot of love for them um so, so, what, so what sort of year are we talking here, Ben? So we're talking 2009 it was. Uh, yeah, 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 2009. So they were, they were in their prime as well. They were, yeah. you know, I was pretty blessed with two clubs that were really at the top of their game, you know. So I saw how things... Give us a, cu- give us a couple of... Uh, <laughs> what are we talking? Matty Orford. Yeah, Matty Orford was there. Jamie Lyon. Uh, Stuart Boys. Brent Kite. Anthony Watmo. Um, David Wo- Williams, the Wolfman. Wolfman, yeah. Yeah, lived with Wolfie for a fair few years. He was very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> legend. Absolutely love him to death. Legend. But, um, yeah, it was very fun times, if you can imagine. So um, you're talking about one of those s- strong manly cl- manly teams that, you know, kind of almost made a grand final. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're renowned, and, and that's where I've ever seen leadership done at, at, its, at their best. Des Hazard would not – he would not – um feel any shame in me saying this but or Donnie Singe, but they, they the leadership that they had there, they almost held themselves to their own standards. Yeah. They they if you came in and you weren't up to standard, you would quickly find out, you know? And um and that's what that's the culture that they had at that club. Standard that in terms of everything, work ethic, attitude. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Game day, um, yep. training, you know, how you were around people, sponsors, um, the respect shown to anyone who was an outsider coming in. They were just really, really good people, and excuse the language, but fucking hard, man. Really hard, man. They they played really, really hard. And that was that. That was their style of footy, you know. Um, just grindy. Yeah, and knock around blokes. Like best of the best in terms of you know, um, 
some really fun times, really good times, um, good Ch- fellas. Chocolate mode, lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, good, yeah, le- legend fella. You can imagine. Um, On your chuck. Yeah, yeah, some, there's some really good good fellas here. And, um, yeah, that, 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 um, that, that was a pretty – that was, I mean, you look at the Melbourne eras during that time period and they were, they were on par with them, really. 100%. You know? yeah, yeah, so. Um, so, yeah, that, I was there for, um, I was there for two years, two, two and a half years and then, and then got an opportunity. Um, Trent Robinson, the Roosters coach, he was, his first, first stint was, uh, head coaching was at Catalan Dragons. Um, didn't know Trent that well, but, um, Got in contact with him, knew him well enough. He was an assistant at Newcastle years ago. Anyway, spoke to him and um, really decent fellow, smart, really, really smart. That was the first first thing I ever thought of him when I, when I first heard him talk was this guy is too smart to be a footy coach, <laughs> basically, you know. And um, Did he have Keegan Smith with him at that uh, time? He had Keegan Smith with him yeah. at the time, yeah. Yeah, another really um, decent fellow who's ahead of his time. It was at the time in terms of how he trained people. Yeah. People look at Keegs at that time and they think – a bit outside the box and that sort of thing. Look all where it stu- all went. All exactly. He developed all that, all that yep. mindset, coaching, all that stuff in terms of looking outside the box. That's Keegan Smith. You know, yep. he's a lot, a lot to answer for, um, for, for all that stuff. So I went over there for a year, though, um, which was at the time it was sort of uh, a bit. It was a really weird contract, to be honest. Um, I wanted to stay at Manly for whatever reason. I couldn't stay there for salary cap concessions and that sort of thing. So. Um, I spoke to Des and he was willing for me to go over to Catalan for a year, yep. which was an amazing gesture for him. Um, and so I went over there for a year and played. And With the intentions of you going back? With to the intentions of coming back, yeah. yeah. But um, but in saying that too, it, the, the team I was over there playing and and the, the standard of football and that sort of thing, mind you, I'm 23 at the time too, so I'm quite young. Yeah, um, I still feel like I'm sort of at the peak of my – if I'm going to be – at the peak of my powers, that's usually when you're starting to go into it, you know. Yeah. So I went over and Developing started. Developing as a man. Exactly, mate. Yep. Yeah. So I went over and um, by myself, I travelled by myself to France and lived there. And um, and when I say this, I have I have I have all this support, man. You know, like that's not the issue. But but you travel. You know, I didn't have a I didn't have a missus. I didn't have a wife. You know, I'm not. Um, I had Scotty Duro, which is my best mate, and his partner Libby, God love her. Um, so they were almost like my foster parents. <laughs> When I moved over there and lived with them, because Scotty was playing with me, Libby, I lived um, with Scott. I'd lived above Scotty and Libby at their apartment, so basically the apartment above, um, and they looked after me. They were, they were yeah, the Menzies. The Menzies were there. They were great. They're great people. Yeah, so I got a lot yeah, of time be- for them be- too. Be- Beaver told me a pretty funny story. <laughs> <laughs> he calls you gravel face. So. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I fell on over it um, on the uh, stumble home from a nightclub one night. Anyway, yeah, scrabble face. I come up with I had this scar on my face a lot. I reckon about nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Never went away. Anyway, um, so yeah, I played there for a year and uh, and got injured about halfway through. Um, and looking back now, and it's probably only been in the last, probably in the last, uh, you know, five months that I've started to realise. You know, this is where a lot of um, stuff started to arise for me personal stuff yeah got injured i was on my own um i was halfway around the world from anyone and um without going into too much detail about it um prescription drugs started to started to be a bit of a thing for me in terms of dealing with pain sleep and that sort of thing physical Um, pain and mental pain physical and mental yeah yeah so um so yeah I, i uh 
I never got to the stage where it was a massive issue, but that's where it sort of started to drip feed itself in, yep. you know. Um, anyway, I was there for a year. Great, uh, great footy. They did really well, Catalan, after that. You know, they've, they've kicked on and they've done some really good things. Robbo, I think, stayed and coached for another couple of years there. Anyway, I moved back to Manly um, literally that next year. Um, and to, so that, that was 2013 and 2014. Uh, went back, felt really strong. I think it was like the best preseason I've ever had. You know, yeah. going into that next year, I'd, I was confident. I'd got over my injury from from Catalan. The year before I left to go to France was my best year NRL, so I was really confident that I could come back and do something with it. You know, um, anyway, came back and uh, did me ACL. So I played, I think, one game the whole year, um, wow. and the whole rimmerole started again. You know, not not being around people, being in the injured squad. Um, you know, uh, isolating all that stuff. Um, still full time footballer, so that was still basically my make or break. You know, that was what I wanted to do. That's what I was focused on doing. That drive that I was talking about before that came out, and I got myself really, really fit, strong, and ready to go. Um, at the time, I just met a lovely girl too, and I won't go into too much detail about her for respect, obviously speaking, when she's not here, but. We started to see each other, my, my ex-wife Megan at the time. She yep. um she moved down with me that second year and was amazing support. Um and played that next year. Um, but just wasn't the player, man. Was not the player in terms of what I wanted to be. A lot of the hangover from my injury, my injuries, sorry, from the last two years were crept up and uh and bit me on the bum in terms of I just for an outside back, you know, I'd lost my speed, I'd lost my confidence, you know, stuff that that outside backs, it's their bread and butter. I, I, I was delaying. I had to think about stuff, you know. And when you're when you're getting to the stage at that high level sport, a second it may not seem much, but that's what it is. Yeah, that's what a lot of it is. You know, well, even point zero one of a second yeah, is ab- absolutely is dumb. the difference between getting absolutely fed yeah. or you know breaking lines. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. So I saw that coming, man. I I, I think. To be perfectly honest, when you're in that stage and you've done it for as long as I had by that stage, I started to feel like I was on the way out. You know, I thought this is probably, this is probably realistically you're going to be one of my last years in NRL. So, and the crazy thing about that is what you're 26. Yeah, I'm 26, man. 26 years of age. Two back off the back of two ACLs. And Um, and just to give context for people who might not have you know played sport or or rugby league or played sport as a profession. What's it like when this is your sole dream and you're in that injured squad and you're constantly like back-to-back catastrophic ACLs? Yeah. And especially, as you said, when you need that agility and quick speed off the mark, you want your body to be in motion before your mind kicks in. And that's, you know, that's why you train for, so you don't have to think. Because rugby league is a game where one person really has to think, the other person just needs to do, Mm. and especially being a centre – can you just dive a bit more into yeah, absolutely. how, you know, back to back, you're at the best club that you could be at, physically in the best shape you could be at. Yep. And what's it like to feel your body letting you down yep. when you've done all the hard work? It's extremely frustrating, mate. And and it's um and I guess it's that mindset that when you're playing at the top of the top in elite sport, you know, and we'll get to it a little bit later in terms of the bounce back factors and basically the rod you create yourself, but you got to be a little bit, you got to be a little bit mental. Yeah. You got, you know, you got to take things to to the extent where you're feeling a bit of pain, but you just push through, or you know, 
you know, that's what's what's needed for yourself, but you go above and beyond it. You know, you got you have to. That that's what it's about. And and when when your mindset's in that frame of mind and you want to, but your body can't respond to it, it's extremely frustrating. You know, it's it's a real letdown. And and not only that, you know, you because when you're in an injured squad, usually in a, in a, in an NRL squad, there's probably at least two, three, four, depending upon how many injuries the club's got. But there's always usually someone in there, so you're not as such on your own. But you're doing a lot of your sessions on your own. You know, you're, you're with rehab guys um, in terms of. You know the the physios, all the all the staff who do the, all the off feet con, but you're not you're not as you're not a part of the squad. You're not playing, which is you're not getting your big rush on the weekend. You know you're not getting that reward. Um, so a lot of it is it's a real grind. You know and it's it, a real grind, and you're losing yeah. the tribal aspect of it as well. Yeah. You know you had Megs, but you you're away from your family. Obviously, you know your old ladies kind of battling in and out across all these years. Yep. Um, still now to this date. And that's the biggest thing, man, when you don't have that high on the weekend and you don't have that tribalism and you're there with the boys because it's, it's, it's something very special being a part of a rugby league team. Yep. It's like, it's basically, if you watch the movie 300, that's what it's like. Yeah, yep. yeah. absolutely it is, man. It's, um, you know, it's a real, it, like you said, you're spot on. Camaraderie, um, you know, you're, wor- you're working not only for yourself but basically creating that bond where your life, your job, not your life, sorry, that's too deep, but... Your job, your success, your future success in terms of contracts depend upon the bloke next year. Yeah, realistically, it is cutthroat. You know, it's not not like the NFL where they can cut you straight away and you're gone, but it gets to the extent where basically I never sign anything more than a one year contract. So if you can imagine going into each year knowing that it's make or break, each session you do has to count. You know, and when you're injured for most of it, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiousness that gets brought up that gets instilled in you. And it's just a natural mechanism, you know, you're always on edge. You're yeah. always on edge, man. And you're always trying to prove yourself, you know. And and not only was that a – that was a trait that I had from a very young age in terms of to get there, but when I was there, it's something I had to keep having too because I, my, I, I didn't know if I was getting fed the next year, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, and, and when I was constantly injured – it's not all woe me too, because a lot. That's I don't know what I, I knew what I was getting signed up for. You know, I I know that that's professional sport, but at the same time too, when you're constantly constantly having to get yourself back up, um, it's tough, man. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only a matter of time before it grinds. Exactly, grinds away, mate, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was that was manly, bro. So um, I um I ended up coming home actually. So 2013, I was I was pretty much bang on. So I I'd. I'd I'd saw the writing on the wall a little bit, and I was I was I was pretty good in terms of I started to delve into a little bit of uh, professional training. Did my cert three and four, did my level one strength and conditioning. Um, had a real real drive for that stuff. Donny Singe, who's at Manly, and he still is now. He's an amazing fella. Anyway, he um he really got me in. He could sort of see that I really enjoyed that side of things, so he got me in, and he started to me out we trained at New South Wales Institute of Sport so I started actually doing a little bit of work with them guys upstairs with their with their athletes so their kayakers their rowers and all that sort of thing yeah so that was a really good experience just getting that little that practical um now of, of how things work at that level where I potentially wanted to go down the track but I was still playing if you know what I mean so yeah. um I moved back to Newcastle with Megan at the time we were together um anyway thought I'd thought I'd get back to 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 what I guess you'd call normal life um, so, you know, I was, I was going to do some personal training there. Um, Megan's had a job, her family was there, that sort of thing. And, and we we're going to settle there anyway. So, 
Um, I got a got a call off George, my manager. It was quite unexpected. Anyway, I, I still had a drive in me, Dale, that I wanted to keep playing. Yeah. But I just knew that I knew that that level of NRL was past me. Yeah. I was past that man. That I, I wasn't. I was not good enough to be playing at that level. So and, and most centers, they can if they lose the speed, they can wear the number twelve or eleven or yeah. thirteen. <laughs> but you're yeah, phys- physically yeah. just not there. No, I'm eighty five <laughs> kilo and I'm under six foot. <laughs> I'm not playing anywhere but yeah. that. Um, so yeah, you're spot on, man. That that's what exactly what it was. So I, um, you know, I, he he rang me and he said, "Look, there's an opportunity in London for two years." Um, Megan's got a British passport. Her father's father's English. So um, so yeah, I, I I was pretty keen to go over there. Not only for the fact that I wanted to continue playing at at a professional level, but um, I thought it was a really good way to. To set to set me up or set up us, us up for the future, um, you know she could work. She was comfortable in doing that too. So, I th- you know we thought to ourselves or thought we'd go and do it. Um, so I went over there anyway. Had two years there. Um, amazing man. Like it was probably the first time that I really appreciated um, life. There is a life outside football, yeah. outside the box of the NRL in Australia. Yeah. You know, um, we got to travel. Uh, you know, we we obviously with the with the team I was playing. You know, we travel up and down for a fair while, like fair fair bit of the country. So you saw a fair bit of England, but also you get weeks off. They do a fair bit of um, they play a lot of games back to back, and then they'll give you big chunks of breaks. So we were able to travel and do a lot of lot of stuff that I'm extremely grateful for. You know, so it was um it was two years of my life that were that were great. Um, in saying that though, um, do you get big biggies? Yeah, for me, for me, it wasn't. I always say to people, if you're if you're an average player in the NRL, which I was, very average, um, you are better off going overseas and earning decent money than staying here and battling for it. If you know, if that makes sense, if that's if that's because well, you, you look at yourself and there's only so much your body can go through. Yeah, you've got a you've you've definitely got an expiration date. Yeah, 100%. on your body. So yeah, hundred percent. And the, and the, and the more more. You know, medium-term average sort of your squad players here are, are held in higher regard over there, if you know what I mean, because the yeah. standard's not as good. So you'll get, you'll get better money if, was, if that's what What it was is. that like? Was there a big buzz around the club? We've got, a, we've got you know, an ex-Manly player coming, you know, Aussie. What, um, did, you, did, you get, did you get treated – like, did you get – obviously, you would have you know, been at home with Manly or yeah. whatever else, but what was the vibe like from London and from Catalans, you know, being an Aussie and playing yeah. in a team with, like, JT and then yeah. – Playing with you know the manly and yeah. stuff like that. Um, <coughs> Catalans was a bit different because I was going over there as I was, I was sort of in pretty good form. I was in good stage of my career. L- London, if I'm if I'm being totally honest, I was at the back end. I, I'd, I'd played NRL. I'd had experience there. Um, for the most part, I think people by that stage knew I was solid. You know, I wasn't I wasn't going to win you a game, but I was going to do my job, and I was probably going to be able to create. Um, a work ethic and that sort of thing that would be would be you know help would be good for a club I would guess you would say yeah so um, they were battlers they were real battlers when I went over there great club like really good people involved but London if you can imagine rugby league in London is a hard task yeah you got you got soccer you got rugby union you got everything it's one of the biggest countries in, uh, cities in the world man you yeah. know so 
it's it's quite hard to gain a foothold there. They've really battled for a long time, and they've got, they've got they've they're still there. They're still standing. They're still still throwing punches, which is the main thing. But so they, the further north you go in England, the better the yeah, the, football, the rugby league culture. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. The more football, for more rugby league orientated. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, well, I was there for two years. Um, my second year there. Um, lo and behold. Probably halfway or probably a quarter during the year, third during the year actually training run did me ACL <laughs> third time, so same knee. Uh, it was my right, so I'd done two on that. Yeah, so that that was my third ACL. I was twenty seven years old I, I of age at the time, um, and it was funny. It's it's really funny because I remember when I got injured, I was on the ground and I remember just thinking to myself straight away, "That's it." Like I, I'd almost come to terms with that's it, I'm done, you know, because I just knew in myself that I just could not go through another rehabilitation at that age and the skill and the physically at that point that I was at, I just, I wasn't a Cameron Smith or a Jonathan Thurston coming back from that. I was Ben Farrer, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's it, I'm done, you know. So so it's almost like, um, yeah, I I just knew, I knew that was it, man. And, And to be perfectly honest, I come to terms with it pretty quick, you know. I, I ended up rehabbing my knee at the end of that year, but by that stage I'd, I'd started to look at it life outside footy and talk to my brother and cousin about we had some stuff getting into the gym. So um, I started definitely looking at that next phase. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, not a, it's not a fun thing to do at all, you know, rehabbing from an injury. Nah. Um, and especially when, it, you know, your body solely does like, is, you know, you need everything to be firing to play the game of rugby league, regardless whether you're playing fucking Group Seven or in Newcastle or mm. Super League, NRL. You need that body. So, yeah. I guess in one way it's kind of good that you were able to close the chapter and you you're real with yourself from that perspective. Mm. But I guess you know the heartbreak and the trauma of going back to back and back to back. You know, you get a lot of self loathing with you know fuck. You know why can't my body hold up and mm. I've let everyone down and. By that time, you you start to find ways on how you can start masking the the, the feeling of feeling like a fucking failure. Hundred percent, man, yeah. absolutely, though. And that's you know from that point onward, mate. That's where that's where shit started to go sideways. Realistically, yeah. be, you know. Um, so I'd, I'd come back. Um, you know, I was an athlete. I had a little bit of little bit of idea in terms of business stuff, but not much. I'd done a uh, diploma in business while I was at Manly. They put me through that, which was great. I'd done some PT stuff, uh, but I was no business owner. Yeah. You know, I had I, I came back and just basically had a bit of a career, had some money to, to, you know, put aside and do something that I really wanted to. Had a brother and cousin that were loving him, and we always wanted to do something in terms of with each other. And so Dan Con got yeah, and Dan <laughs> Con got me. So we, <laughs> now he actually did to be honest. With you. That's another. <laughs> he did get me. Um, On your DC, yeah, but um, so yeah, we I come back and we jumped into it, man. Um, so two thousand, we we ended up fitting a place out in uh, in Gates in late two thousand fifteen. Was it F forty five? Yeah, F forty five. Yeah, F forty five Gates. It, it, it is, or it's yeah. called. Um, Anyway, 2016 in February we opened. So you know all them memes, <laughs> all them memes you see about 
ex-athletes, <laughs> opening F45 gyms and that sort of thing. Every time I read that, I crack up. Yeah. Uh, I said, the, that is quintessential oh, Ben Farrow 101. Yeah, you, 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 well, you look at like Nate, Nate Miles, yeah, you look yeah. at Roy Azatazi, yeah. you know, Ben Roberts, like yep. there's um, yeah, a, a, a list of them. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. exactly what it was. So, um, so yeah, that, that's where it started, man. We opened in um, 2016 in February and um, I started there as a sort of owner-manager. Um Still with Megan at the time, so we were sort of she'd do a lot of the back end stuff for me. Um, anyway, Mark and Mark was involved to an extent more so. Mark's a really really smart guy, but he would stay behind the scenes and give his opinion. He was sort of in the mind. So um, from a third party point of view, in terms of he wasn't there all the time. Nick Nick, God love him. He's he's the hardest worker I've, I think I've ever seen. He's a school teacher. He's in there every day. I don't know where he gets the energy from. What he's, needs to call him? Um, Oh, what did you, Mitch? Mitch, <laughs> Mitch, you, Mitchy. God love him. Hello, Mitchy. Um, yeah, Nick, he's he's a special dude, mate. Too, and he, the Gates are so lucky to have him. You know, he's um he holds him up certainly. So um so mate, I yeah I um I was doing long shifts. I was doing so I was waking up at four thirty. You know, I was going to the gym. Um, I was running classes all day and. And I started to do the back end stuff in terms of start like the system side of stuff. Basically, taught myself all that stuff. Um, I was just I was just having a crack, man. <laughs> I was just I was just having a crack. I didn't really know much about in terms of um, in terms of business stuff, but I was just having a crack. And mm. so, if you get my personality with all the anxiousness that I've built up in the last however long playing football, being injured. Um, being away from people to then putting in a new environment, not getting that fix of a re- weekend rush in terms of the identity I almost created for myself. I was 28 when I retired since I was seven, 17, so 11 years. Um, I really struggled, really struggled. And the thing with it was not a lot of people knew because when you're at a gym every single day, and you, you fucking cut from granite. And you cut from granite. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. Hey, yeah. you, and, you, and you're training and you're looking like you're good. You know what I mean? You're looking like you're good, which is such a misconception these days. Everyone looks at the physical. Oh, he looks good, so he's good. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm living, breathing, and that's not how it works. Yeah. Anyway, so for a long time I had to put on a mask of, of I'm good. You know, I'm, well, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm here at work, I'm, you know, running you through the classes. But I was doing head noise, man. I was doing head miles day after day after day. And um, I was starting to slowly turn into a person that I wasn't proud of, but I wasn't honest with myself, you know. Yeah. I was I was doubling in substance on the weekend at that stage. Um, that was getting to the point where I was really starting to think to myself, is this all cut out for me? You know, like I was looking back at my childhood and, and it's only now that you realise, but like I was an anxious kid, man. Yep. I was a really anxious kid, you know. I I, had, I bit my nails constantly when I was younger. Um, I developed a stutter, you know. My mum was had to look after my brother at hospital for a fair while and was away from from me. So, um, you know, I developed a stutter. You know, I was a, I was a bit of a loner, not a loner in terms. Of I had a lot of people, but I loved time to myself. So you mix characteristics that I've always had. Um, with uncertain times, with then a lack of actually knowing who I am, loss of identity, loss of career. Just inflates it so much. You start to yeah, you start to get a really not good cycle, <laughs> and um, and um, and that's where it all kicked off, man. 
that's yeah. where it all kicked off, you know, and um, and it was uh, yeah, it was it was sort of just as I retired, so yeah. And then I guess the the compound of compounding effect to that is that the longer you sit in this space, the harder it compounds. Absolutely. To the point where you know we got to you know where we're at you know three mm. three months sober now, but yep. Um, I know this is going to be pretty tough for you to talk about, but yeah, it's, brother, can yeah. can you give us an understanding of this compounding and the relationships that it severed, and yep. obviously the more and more you started drifting away from the people yep. you loved and who loved you, yeah, and basically become, yeah, I guess a recluse. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Man, it was a show. So, um, you know, and 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 as emotional as this is, man, and as as many people as this involves. I'm going to be honest, but to a point, anything individual with, with others and stuff, you know, I'll, I'll leave there yep. um, in terms of, I don't, you know, I don't want to speak out of school or anything like that or, or put them in a position that they're not comfortable with. So, um, so as you said, Dale, like I, I, you know, by that stage I was battling, man. Um, my wife at the time, she stuck around with me uh, for my first rehab stint. You know, I decided I need to go down and, and get myself sorted went down. Um Got some clean time to be, to be honest for a while, but came back out and and just defaulted. Did not know that um, you know the cycle of addiction or, or basically hadn't realised at the time the personality I am, substance abuse, not being real with myself, my mental health issues would compound and I was getting the same results. Yep. And so with the same results came came basically people in my life, my really really good mates. So your Jared Mullins, um, you know, your Mitch Stills, all these guys who I love to death and wanted the best for me at the time, um, they couldn't stand me doing to myself what I was doing. Yeah. So naturally they didn't want to be a part of that sort of stuff, so they take a step back and give yourself, give yourself space. Yeah. When you're in that space that I was, it's everyone else's issue, everyone else's problem. I had a car crash, it's your fault. I was on the phone to you, you made me crash. Mm. I was, you know, um, did, didn't turn up for work, you know. It was someone else's fault for not getting their time sheet in on time. You know, just craziness, man. Yeah. And so you're naturally, not only are you naturally um, reclusing and you're, and you're segregating yourself from people that love you, but you're almost doing head miles and you're giving yourself, giving yourself an excuse to keep doing the same shit. And so you, so you create a cycle for yourself where by that stage, Megan had had a gutful. She, you know, she stayed around for as long as she, she could handle. And, you know, I've been pretty open with this sort of recently and, and I'll, I'll say one thing and I'll probably leave it at that in terms of her. She could not have done any more for me, man. Yeah. I, I was, she, she did above and beyond anything, you know, and the break, break, breakdown of everything in regards to all that stuff was on me. Yeah. Because um, we did, we did have a chat in relation to, you know, if you love someone, but enough's enough, you have to protect your own health, yep. men mental health. Um, there's only going to be guilt, feeling like yep. you've let that person down. Yeah, 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 hundred percent, bro. And and that's then you're spot on. And you know, that's it's a really common theme with um, you later down the track. But my really good mates at the time were, were that exact, that bang on. Yep. They had they had to almost protect themselves. For me to find myself, for me to get well, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, we had that com yeah. we had the conversation uh, the conversation with you with um, Jewel from R Rogue, and she said, you know, tolerating the intolerable is the most unhealthy 
um, thing a, a human can do. Yeah. And that doesn't just mean, um, you know, eating bad food. You yep. know, if you've got someone who is negative all the time or, you know, they're in a, a spiral of this, you know, maelstrom of fucking craziness and unhealthiness and punishing themselves, yep. you know, like e.g. yourself. Yep. Um, there's only so long you can tolerate that before yep. it starts impacting on yourself because, you know, one, you go, fuck, you know, I want to save you. But you can't save yourself, so I've got to. I've got to put me first. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. And so, so people, people are leaving me. People, people were, people were, were taken off in terms of um, having to do it. Yeah, you know. And so, and so, I was, I was just floated. I floated around. You know, yeah. I, I, I still kept up a really good mask because I was still working every day. Yeah. I don't know how. Um, you know, I was still, I was still, co- I was still coaching. I was helping out. Um, I was still helping out the Knights, sort of twenties and reserve grade, and that sort of thing. And, and that's one thing that I always stand by: that is that never, never, never mixed in terms of what I was doing outside of that with that. You know, that that was um, that was something I was really strong on, and still to this day. But I was holding a really good mask with that stuff, man. You know, yeah. I was I was an ex NRL player, ex athlete who then opened a gym who was supposed to be okay, supposed to be okay. He looks good. He yeah. he looks fit. You know, he puts on the front, puts on the mask. He's surely okay. Yeah. Fuck no. I was terrible. Yeah. I was terrible. And and it would take me almost, most weekends it'd be a blur. And then I'd, I'd take half the week to come good and it'd be the same shit. Cycle again. It'd be the yeah. same shit, man. And, you know? and I guess when you're, when you're in that space, the people who you were attracting are the same people who are in the same space yeah. as you. Exactly right. Misery loves company. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, and that's, a, that's the saying yeah. that... that that I've, that I've found out recently and it's so true man so true you know people in that state you know <laughs> you sit around at 2am and you chat and you talk about you know i'm going to be doing this i'm going to be doing that you know whatever whatever and you're bagging people and you're speaking ill of people and all that sort of stuff you know and 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 it all happens at that them times. It never happens at nine a.m. over a coffee, no. <laughs> does it? <laughs> you know, bang on. Hey, yeah. Yeah. It all happens at yeah. the depths depths of the night when you're going to promise the world and you're going to come up with all these mad plans and you're speaking. You think you solved all the world's problems? Well, come and talk to me at lunchtime tomorrow when you're sober. Yeah, you know, and that was that was me. That yeah. was me, man. You know, I had I had all the answers. I had all the answers, and everyone else's issue it wasn't mine. You know. Um, and so that continued on, mate. I I, I got got a little bit of clean time again, um, and then went to had, had another bus, bro. Another bus bad. Went to um, a place called Wesley in Sydney. So this one was these places I, I went to before were only four weeks. So they're basically they call them in and outs. Really, you go in, you sober up, you get clean, you dry out, you learn stuff in terms of what you shouldn't shouldn't be doing. But one thing I've always known and I, and I know now is that. Um, the stuff that they teach you there, they can only teach you. You got to action it, you know. It, yeah. And I was never willing to. I was never willing to actually get out and do the stuff that they had told me. So the first, but prior to this one that yep. we just had, were your stints in rehab for everyone, like for your yeah, mum yeah, and yeah. your dad? You yeah. went, you went there because you're like, oh well, I'm upsetting these people. This is going to make them happy or give me trust in me again. So yep. were you going there f- for them? As yep. opposed to yourself, absolutely, I was, man. Yeah, honest, open, and honestly, um, at the time, I, um, and I think it's a bit of an out for today's culture because drugs and alcohol is everywhere, um, and substance that it's it's the norm. Yep. 
you know. And for me, if I was, you know, if I was enjoying myself on a weekend um, and I was working during the week, I didn't have a problem. Yeah, I was adamant about that, you know. And so the first time I went in there was basically, um, you know, to, to get a level of respect and comfort to the people around me that were supporting me and me sort of thinking to myself, you know, yeah, you're in a real bad stage here, but I don't really know why you are. Long story short, I know exactly why I am because I'm doing the same shit every single weekend. I'm getting the same result. But at the time, Definition I didn't know that. Insanity. Yeah, exactly, yeah. man, you know. And um, and so, yeah, uh, so, yeah, it was basically the first time was to, um, you know, for family, friends, got out and age old, anyone who's who's had who's been in recovery, Knows you get the jits of oh I can you I can I can have a drink, or I can do whatever. I think someone's at my front door. Dog's going off its head. Sorry. I can do <laughs> I can do whatever, but I'll moderate it. Yeah. You know. And for a lot of people, and I still say this to this day, everyone do your own thing. I'm not gonna I'm not now gonna preach sobriety, or all you know all that stuff in terms of that's what works for me. What works for for person A compared to B is totally different. My makeup, what I know now, how I how I process things, um, the certain characteristics I have, anything mind altering, any behaviour like that, I can't do. Yeah, I just simply can't do. And the second rehab stint was a real eye opener in terms of that because I think I came to terms with you're a bit different than the odd person. Yeah. You know, you're a bit, you're a bit. This this affects you more than usual. wasn't wasn't willing to give it up, man. So I went out for more research, as they call it. Went out for another 18 months um, and got to the stage, brother, it, you know, you, you saw me at my worst. Yeah. It's four months, three, four months ago, you know, when um, yeah. when I when I, I had literally hit rock bottom, bro, and, and and I needed to make some changes. Uh, yeah. I'd turn into a person. I'd turn into to something I never, ever wanted to be. And, and um, you know, I'd, I'd broken professional relationships personal relationships, a lot of them had been gone for a long time. Yeah. You know, I, I was in the depths of doing the same stuff because I didn't want to make a change because I knew how hard it was going to be, you know. Yeah. And, and and if I was completely honest with myself, I couldn't look at myself for a long time. And as I said to, to the other day to someone, you know, this this is maybe going a little bit too deep and a little bit um, too much, but you spend a lot of time – Drinking, doing all that other stuff, usually in front of mirrors, don't you? Yeah. I could never look at myself in the mirror for a long time, ever. Mm. Could never. If I walk past, I could never look myself in the eye because I, I was so ashamed of the person I'd become, that same person who grew up in New Lampton to a good family, who had every chance at life, who had yeah. done really well at sport, who had driven, who, who had busted his ass man for everything. You know, who was genuinely, I thought, was a pretty good person, pretty good person, had come to the point where I was a piece of shit, man. Mm. I was a real piece of shit. I was a bad person. And people say, you know, it's it's pretty true. People in addiction aren't bad people, they're sick people. And I really agree with that. It's yeah. a disease. Yep. But there's a point where them same sick people have turned a corner and they're starting to be bad people. And that's, that's where I was getting to the point where um, – you know, I, I just wasn't proud, man. I, I needed to a few a few conversations I'd had with a lot of people close to me, and and um, you know, you were one who who reached out to me as you always do, brother. Um, my brother was another one, and a few people who I won't embarrass them, but um, 
you know, it was almost like they had to, they had to do what they did for me to wake up and do what I've done. One of my mentors now, um, Glenn Collis, Uncle Glenn. So he's, I think he's going to come on your show in a few weeks, but yeah, he, um, awesome. he's an amazing man. You know, he's, um, ex addict, ex boxer, uh, well, recovering addict, not ex addict. He's still an addict. Um, he'd been in recovery for about 13, 14 years, never top, touch a drop, drop after, after that. And he, um, he reached out to me, man. He got me in the Glen. So in, in the place in, in central coast that I went and he said, it's going to be, it's going to be fucking hard. He said, it's really going to be hard. It's going to show you whether you want to get well or not, Yeah, you know? And, and I'll never, ever forget them words. And, and to be perfectly honest, bro, I was shit myself. Mm. I was, you know, yeah, I'm going into a place that not being disrespectful, but out of the 25 clients that, that were there, you know, most of them come for a drug court. They yeah. got no option. They either come and they get well or they go to jail. Yeah. You know? Um, and so, yeah. Um, yeah, hundred percent, man. And look, just to, just back to what I I said about attracting the people, um, you know, y- you and I came together in a time when my life internally was probably the worst that it had ever been. Um, you know, like on the outside, doing well, you've got everything, you've got a beautiful, amazing missus, you've got money, you've got good jobs, whatever else. But you know, going through. Um, going through IVF, the stress of buying a house, putting all of that on myself that I needed to provide for my for my family. I was in the same boat, man. You know, every mm. weekend I was just belting myself. I yep. guess the the difference between you and I is the reason why I never played in the NRL is because I didn't have that next gear. Mm. I was like, right, okay, we're at Sunday morning. I feel like dog shit. Yep. We're good now. Yep. We're, we're back on track. Spot on. And, um, and then as, you know, like I had, you know, but you got to remember, man, like when I had my jet ski, I had a jet ski accident. Benny was the first person there and he was there with me every day. Every day he would come and train with me. And to, to say that you were a piece of shit, yes, you were, but there was still the element of you in yourself. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, like as it started, as our friendship grew and, you know, we did, we came up with some amazing, this podcast was supposed to be me and you originally, mm. um, you know, as we started to grow closer and spend more time with each other, I was like, the cracks started to appear. I'm like, man, we need to chat. And yeah. you're just always so vague. And yep. the the response when you ask someone how they are and they say fine, it's an, it's an acronym, fragile, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And that was you to a T, yeah, you know hey. what I mean? Like you were very yeah. vague. You'd never go into detail yeah. with stuff. You were very, sh- you'd shy away from yep. any sort of, you know, depth in terms of com- yep. conversation. But, still at the heart of our friendship. I knew you loved me and mm. you loved Lewis and you'd always do what you could for us. But yeah. the hardest thing was is that you couldn't do it for yourself mm. and there's no yeah. way you can love anyone else until you can love yourself. You've nailed it down two things, man. So what you said before in terms of I'm fine. So I came from a background, as, as we just spoke about, of being an athlete. You're a bit crazy. You keep a lot of pain to yourself. You know, you, you don't explore your emotions with a lot of people because it is the toughest sport on earth. Yeah. You're a man. You're a professional. You know, you're not meant to show weakness. Yeah. And so, mind you, I'm not that person now, Person at the time I'm talking about now. I'd been retired by that stage by three, four years. Yeah. But then intrinsic qualities that were still inside me, I was still defaulting to, man. Yeah. And I didn't know any different. 
and then come to terms with, like you said before, that drive of pulling up Sunday morning, you know, or going for going for two beers at night and then going home to to your wife or whatever. Yeah, that wasn't me. No. I'm all or nothing. Yeah, if like we, if said, we have one sip. Yeah, where I have, well, I'm going to empty my bank yep. account. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, yep. I'll I'll let Sunday yep. Benny in Dallas deal yeah. with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. See you Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you Monday. Yeah. You know, I'll see. Yeah, maybe Monday. Yeah. Um, and so, like you said before, that same thing, that same qualities that 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 got me in terms of that hard work ethic, that all or nothing attitude. Yeah. Overtrain, overdo this, over you know, same thing with drinking, man. Yeah. One, there's a saying, whatever's not good, that you can never have enough of what you don't need. Yeah. And for me, that is so so true. Me and me and now I realize that now. The stuff that I don't need, you can never have enough of. So don't touch it. Yeah. You know? It's like maybe chocolate. Exactly. Bro. <laughs> there so you I, go. So I blew out to 136 you know? kilos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the big boy. Um, so, yeah, bro, you know, and it's like, it's all a learning experience. But that's, I guess that's, that that probably probably has been the biggest op- eye-opener for me now, man, is it is it starting to get a feel for all that qualities that makes the guys – Rugby league players, athletes, yeah, addicts. Yeah. Addicts don't open up. All these guys who I am, I, I, I'm an addict. I, I used to be an athlete. You know, all this stuff. These are qualities I can see from a mile away. You know, and that's that next phase that I want to give back and potentially, hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm got me foot in the door with welfare stuff now at the Glen, and hopefully do some stuff with me coaching and stuff at the Knights Twenties, yeah. and then go from there. But yeah, that, that's you know, that's what I want to do. Hundred percent, man, and that's the um, the one thing you you know I talked about a lot with you is you know giving without the intent of receiving is the purest form of happiness. Yep. And um, the first time we went around, not to go back, but like the first time we went around when you know I I, I picked you up and I took you home, mm. um, and I said to you, "You're never gonna fucking do this to mm. me again." Was I'll fucking I'll push you off the fucking cliff. Yeah, you said a bit more yeah. to me, I think, than that, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're lucky yeah. I didn't cave your fucking head. I loved you too much. For but, the listeners, yeah, exactly. But um, but you know, when you went into when you went to to rehab, like I was ready at that stage that I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yep. Like I'm I'm not going to sabotage this beautiful life that I have. And I said to you, I'm like, mm. I'm going to do this with you. Mm. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to take recreational drugs. 100%. I'm going to stay clean with you this, through yep. this whole fucking thing. Yep. And like, in all honesty, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yep. But I felt a lot comfortable doing that because I knew I was doing it with you. Mm. And it made me feel so much stronger because I'm like, you know, I've got to stay strong for him. Yep. Even though you'd have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. I was like, in myself, I'm like, yeah. I've got to stay true to this, yep. to, to Ben. Yep. Because if he's going there and doing this, I've got to do the same yep. thing. Accountability, yeah, yeah, you know? 100%. yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and it and it was the, it was a, a a turning point where I gave myself back a lot of power and a lot of confidence. Mm. That's it. It's I don't think, and you know it's spot on, man. And might sound corny or de- or whatever, but I think when someone when you're doing something for someone, that's what I didn't have for a long time a spirit. And it, and in there, God God bless the place. I developed a spirit again, man. So I think you naturally. You can feel stuff that you never never did before. And I was telling you the other day, like I'd wake up, I wake up quite regularly or in the last sort of few months now, like 3 a.m. And I do my best thinking at 3 a.m., which is crazy. You think to yourself, 
what I think it is, is is basically your brain's healing and you're starting to get that spirit back. And yeah. that's where them deep thoughts and deep emotions are coming to the surface, man. So I quite regularly, I journal and I do all um, gratitude lists and all that sort of stuff. A lot of my stuff I do now is, th- is at 3 a.m. I'll get up and I'll write. Yeah. You know, which is craziness, but it's the most pure form of what I'm feeling at the time. Hundred percent. Yeah. And on that is is I didn't know what you were doing. You could have been doing anything, but I knew true deep in myself that the Dale that pushed me towards going and doing war for myself, and the bloke that I would check in with, you know, during the week whenever we got access to our phones, I knew that person was doing the doing the right stuff. Yeah. You know, I could I could feel that spiritual connection within my voice, and um. You know, obviously I couldn't see it at the time, but, um, you know, I, I knew, right? And and I think that's that's the biggest thing, man, is I think, you know, for people just taking a f- for their first step on this road to recovery and whatever it may be in any form of behaviour or, or substance abuse or whatever, you just need to take that first step. Yeah. But you need someone to get you there. It's really hard to do it yourself, man. And, and although at times people make out like they did it on their own, they didn't. <laughs> Something got to the got to the stage where someone's had a chat to them, or yeah. they've reached out to them, or it's that first initial contact where you think to yourself, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna have a crack at this, and I know I'm good enough, and I owe this to myself where I can do this. You did it with footy, you did it with business. Yeah, why can't you do it for yourself? And that's it, bro. Yeah. And 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 the thing is that. There's always someone bigger, badder than you. You never, you never, you and your own, you know. Yeah. And so you need, you, I need, I needed to get outside of my ego and go. You know what? What I've done before hasn't fucking worked for me. Mm. You know. I, so I don't know. I don't have all the answers. You know. Yeah. And I know I need it, but get better. Yeah. But how do I do it? And people like yourself and the people who are around me, who they know who they are, they push me to that point where they went. Okay, this is what you need to do. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of lonely long nights and a lot of really self-reflection and some really hard stories to talk. You know, talk to yourself. But but in reality, bro, you're already doing that. Yeah. You're already a fucking alone. You're running head miles <laughs> all the time. But it's just it's the in a negative way. Yeah. In an unhealthy way. Yeah, it's craziness, isn't it, man? It's fucking crazy. You're spot on. Yeah. It's exactly what you are doing anyway, <laughs> but you're doing it in a positive way, positive you know? Way. Yeah. And I think that's that fear of it's really hard to change. Like you naturally you look at anything in life, it's really change is not not easy. Okay, so to get fit, it's not easy. You gotta have you gotta you gotta overload the muscle or you gotta, you know, get it get the get to the point where it's different from what it's used to. So Lung, it makes lungs, a change. Yeah, exactly, yeah, man. 100%. It's like anything. So it's going outside that comfort zone and, and eliciting that response of doing something different where it goes, you know what? Them old ways, they're changed. I've got to make 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 some new paths now. And you can look at that in terms of anything, recovery from addiction, um, mental, mental in terms of, you know, getting smarter, you know, in terms of like yeah. studying anything well, and, physical. And the hardest thing, man, the hardest thing about all of this is this world is conditioning you to be fucking soft and weak. Yep. Why do you think you have food on every corner? Yep. Why do you think you're like in this pandemic, why the fuck was Dan Murphy's open? But go, but go Vita wasn't. Oh, don't get me started on that. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So exactly. this world conditions you to be weak, yep. to to be vulnerable, and to yep. be fucking soft. Yeah. And it, it does. It takes a, even just the, the person who trains five days a week and only chooses to eat two unhealthy things throughout the week. You know, they might do a, a Sunday brekkie yep. and a Friday night burger. Yeah. Like if you can do that, that's fucking. I take my hat off to you because it's mm. discipline that 
not a lot of people have because the world has conditioned you to be soft and to be weak yeah. um, and also to, to play the blame game because mm. everyone else seems to be doing it with media. But the, the one thing I do want to touch on yeah. um, is, you know, before you went to the Glen and, you know, to be open and honest, you know, I, you know, I, I heard from you and I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to catch up with you until I can actually see you. Because yeah. I think in my own mind you know, you'd, you'd been gone for so long and um, and I had to witness for myself and do due diligence for myself on, I need to profile him to yeah. see where he's actually at. Yeah. And it was hard, man. It was so hard to see you in that way. You were just, you were such a, you weren't the dude with the mask on anymore. You were just a dishevelled, yeah, like yeah. breathing corpse. Yeah. It was so fucking yeah. hard to see that, man. Yeah. And, um, you know, I spoke to your brother afterwards and, and your brother's just like, oh, look, you know, whatever Benny owes you or whatever else, like, I'll fix it up. And I was like, man, it's not about that. Like, mm. I need to know your welfare was okay. Yeah. Because regardless, like, you know, with money or, or whatever else, I, I needed to know where you were at. Yep. So I had an understanding if, you know, your brother messaged me or, you know, your parents messaged me, I had an understanding of where you were at, where you yep. were living, and I – kind of knew where you were at yeah. in terms of, you know, how far down this rabbit yeah. hole have we actually gone yeah. now? 100%, bro. And, and it was it was hard, man. It yeah. was so hard. I drove away, man, just going, I should have just fucking hit him and just locked him in the car and just yeah. drove him. I, sh- I wanted to drive you somewhere yeah. then and there. To help me. Yeah. And that's, yeah, mate. And so for, for the li- for listeners, yeah, like Dallas said, you know, that, that was at a point where I, I was on the seat of my ass. I asked him for, for, for money to um to help me get by. He come over, God love him, and gave it to me. And and for anyone who follows me on Instagram, that sort of thing, I put a photo up, I think it was yesterday, of, of basically the, the time when I wanted to make a change. And it was around probably about – wasn't around that time because I, I was still out doing some research by that stage, but it was probably a couple of weeks after that. So you can, you can see by that photo – Physically, and I know it's never about the fit, you know, you can put on a really good mask as we showed, but physically I was sick. Yeah. I was sick, really sick. Mentally I was sicker. Yeah. Spiritually I was a shell. Yeah. I had nothing, man. Yeah. You look in my eye, you looked in my eyes at the time and you would have seen straight through me. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it would have been really hard for you to see that, bro. And, um, you know, I, um, but it's, it's worth it being here now. Yeah. It's like, you know, yep. as I said, I drove away going, did I just make the biggest mistake of my life mm. in three or four days? Is he not here yeah. anymore? Like that was a very hard thing to deal with within myself. Mm. But again, it's like, you know, I had to put myself first Yep. because it's like I knew that you weren't ready. No. Even if I did put you in the car and force you against yep. your will, I knew you, it was probably just going to push you further back yeah. the other way. So... Yeah, it's um. That's the level of what it was at the time, man. You know, I'm not going to make any outlandish statements about. But I was on the road where. It's pretty hard for me to say this, bro. There's potential you would not have seen me again. Yeah. That 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 is that is the level of where things were going. Yeah. My state of mind. Um. And, and just what hope I had had at the future at that time. Yeah. It was almost like, and we talk about comfort and the easy option before. It was more comfortable for me at that time than the state of mind I was in 
by this stage I wasn't working. I hadn't worked for about two months. Mark and Nick were running the gym. Um, I was left to my own device. If so, read between the lines. Yeah. So, um, you know, I yeah, I get. I, I actually get really emotional thinking about that time, man. Because I because I. Pr- I remember times where I promised myself I wanted to get well and I wanted to make a change, but I just, I just fucking, I just didn't have the balls at the time to do it, man. I've, I've, a hundred percent. Like it was, as I said, it was so hard to see you like that. But you know, you need to hit rock bottom to go right. I know where I need to build yeah. the foundations again, and um, and I can see you getting quite emotional. It's, it's, you know you need to relive those moments to keep you fucking strong because yeah. as i said before this world's going to fucking test you regardless they're not going to go oh benny's just done three months clean we won't worry about him anymore 100 it's always going to be temptation and it's always going to be thrown your way and 100 and it's you know about being so um you know so focused on you know your who you surround yourself with your environment and um and you're so blessed man like yeah. you're so blessed like you your family is so amazing and yeah. You know, the first time that, you know, we went through the rehab thing together, um, you know, I remember reaching out to Mo and I'm just like, I was like, Mo, you know, what do I, mm. what do, I do here? Like, mm. you know, I feel like it's a duty of care for me to to make sure his parents know where he's at because yeah. I knew you were, you were hiding away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could put on the mask and, yeah. you know, like it would be... Very good at that. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, you, your your brother's your best friend yeah. and, and you know, my brother's keeper. Like that's marked for you 100%. But, mm. you know, two young kids works in the mine. Mm. It's like, you know, you know, shift working. 100%, bro. He'd be sitting there going, you know, is it just fucking, am I just a bit fuzzy at the yeah. moment or is Benny not right? Yeah. Or And, 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 and that, you nailed it. Mark... Mark is the best dad I've ever seen. Yeah. He's an amazing man. And and to be perfectly honest, he's got a lot of qualities that I certainly don't have. And I would love to be in a lot of aspects what he is. He's an amazing, amazing person. Yeah. As you said, but he's got two kids. <laughs> he's a minor. Yeah. He's got a beautiful partner. Like he's busy. He's not worried about, you know, his brother who Mind you, at that stage, he's given a given me. He's done me a couple of chances. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. seen this whole ro- rodeo for a little while now. Yeah, this whole get out, do the same shit, fucking crawl back. And unfortunately, all the like you know, chatting to Mo and talking about yeah. stealing and stuff. Uh, these guys are all reporting back yeah. to Mark as well. So, yeah. so you know, he knows what's yep. fucking going on. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Newcastle's not a big place, <laughs> as we all know. Well, as especially we all when know. your last name's Farrah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, um. You know, so as we said, like, you know, it, it like you like you mentioned before, rock bottom. That was the that was what it had to hit. Yeah. Not only rock bottom, but honesty at a level where I've never ever been to in my life before. Yeah. Breaking down the exact position I'm in, the person I had become, what I saw as my next phase of my life. If I wanted to be six years of age by myself, lonely. Still in addiction, talking about the good old days, <laughs> you know what I mean? Which were like, fuck, 45 years ago at the time. And, stati- and statistically, it's more towards the 80, 90% of yeah. those fucking people than, you know, where you're at now. Yeah, like exactly you, you right. were You were fucking primo to be the, st- the statistic. Yeah. I, 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 w- I was, yeah, I was your quintessential statistic. Ex-athlete, couldn't transition, yep. had all the vices in the world, couldn't work himself out, 
um, went down the same fucking road. Yeah. And lives to however long, and you hear at his eulogy, oh, yeah, he was a good bloke, but fuck that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not, like, do something with the rest of your life, man. Yeah. And and that place, that the Glen. Yeah, know, let's 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 yeah. go let's go on this journey here. So um you've made the decision, you've reached out to your parents and you're like, yep. I need fucking help. Yep. Um I knew there was a bit of a grace period there where they where Glenn was trying to find you a bed. Yep. Um yep. can you just run us through that process there? Yeah, you know, how did you approach your parents? Did your parents approach you? Yep. yep, yep. So um so the way it worked was basically if you can imagine I was trying to get into a rehabilitation facility during COVID. <laughs> so that's not only hard, but it's about twice as hard because no one will take people in detox from areas that are of concern. So I was trying to go to a place that was in Sydney, which was locked down at the time, could not do detox. I had to be clean for two weeks before I even stepped foot in there. Otherwise, I'd shut the door, I'd turn around, and I'd go back home. Yeah, I'm coming down from the hardest period of my life at the time. How much do you want it, Ben? Are you going to stay clean? not touch alcohol, not touch whatever else, for two weeks on your own device before you even step foot in this place, show me how keen you are to get well. That's what I was faced with realistically. And so, mate, it was hard. It was really, really hard, man. Like before I had even taken the first step of my journey, I'd done more head miles than I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. But I was willing because I wanted to get better. I wanted to make a change, man. Yeah. And and so that's what it was. So I did the two weeks. Um, God love them. With, with mum and dad? Yeah, with mum and dad at home yep. in Lambton. Yep. yep. Um, and then and then got mum to drive me down to the Glen Man at Tugra. Yep. Anyone who knows my mum, she's a pretty emotional lady. Yeah. She's a very emotional lady. <laughs> she's a warrior herself. She's been through more than you can probably ever imagine. I'd, I'd speak about her for three days. I pr- probably probably couldn't be honest. I'd get too emotional about her. But... Um, yeah, her life is pretty amazing. The person she is is that's where I've got a lot of my resilience from, you know. And um and so she drove me down that day and and I could just tell bro on the way down, I could just tell on the way down that this was it. This was it, man. There was no more bus. Yeah. There was no more turning back. Yeah. You know? The shit that I had put her through more than anyone. Um, not to mention the person I had become and and had disappointed and uh, that sort of thing. I was with myself I, on that, what's, Tugger's 35, 40 minutes away? Yeah, yeah. It was the longest 40 minutes of my life. Yeah. So she's driving me down anyway. Making small talk the whole way down, being as mum is, supportive, all that sort of thing. But this is my time. you got to fuck a man up and you got to do something about this, you know, and that's... That 40, 40 minutes on the way down, that was, that was, I'll never, ever forget that, bro. Yeah. You know, and I remember saying not much to her, but, but I just looked at her a few times and I said, this is it. This is it. Yeah. You know, I'm going to get well and I'm going to stay that way. And I promise you that. Yeah. You know, and I've made a lot of empty promises in the past, but I think genuinely she thought this is a different person. Yeah. Uh, this I'd, is the guy that wanted to crack this first is, grade. Yeah. yeah. This is that guy from that long ago who I sent on a bus to Parramatta yep. to try and make it and have a crack at things. He'd been gone for a long time and yep. here he is again. Yeah. Anyway. Crazy, man. Yeah. It's, um, it's, that's the, 
I guess the silver lining in you know all the darkness is is those little moments. And if you think about it, like you know, we go through a lot of shit as human beings, and it's those little moments that keep us going to the next day, that keep they us do, going, man. and keep you pushing. They you do. Know? And um and it's it's special to hear. Mm. Yeah. Oh, me, me and yourself, bro. Like we talk a lot now about you're a big believer in it's meant to happen and higher power, you know. And I know that for a fact. And um, well, it's and um step two in re- rehabilitation is letting yeah. go of the ego yeah. and giving yourself to a higher power. Hundred yeah. percent. And you're not the center of the universe, and and life will go on with or without you, you know. <laughs> and and stuff is meant to happen, yeah. and you got to go with the flow, yeah. and you know and. And that's probably we could probably me and you could probably do that for another three hours. But that that's essentially what I'm trying to say is that them little moments like that, being mindful or being in the moment, and, and realizing them sort of moments are there for a reason. Yeah. And capture it. Remember that shit. Yeah. Because when when you're doing it rough or when you're doing it tough, you know all that sort of stuff. You remember them little glimmers. That sort of stuff's supposed to happen for a reason. Hundred percent. You know. Yeah. And 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 there was a fair few of them in there. Um, but the one down, we're driving down with mum, that was one. That was definitely one I'll never, ever forget, bro. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's special. It's amazing. And give us a bit of a, give us a bit of a, a an understanding of, of the Glen. Yep. You've, you've, yep. You've so um, the Glen's a, it's a, it's an all male rehab intra, uh, facility. Um, as I said before, by that stage, I'd, I'd done a couple of stints and um, I, ne- I needed tough love. I needed like no shit. You stuff up, you've put a foot wrong, you were gone. You know, I need a last chance, Charlie. Yeah. So you step foot in there. Um, it's not, It's not. without being disrespectful, it's not that flash. Um, it's an extremely spiritual place. I cannot tell people how spiritual it is. It's, yeah. an ind- it's, it's basically founded by an indigenous man and a, and a, um, a white guy. Um, Anyway, I won't say names. You, you can look it up. Definitely look it up if, if you're curious about it. Um, and I'll tell you a story towards the end, which is this is how powerful this place is. But, um, yeah, basically one of one of their sons was in addiction. He died in addiction. His name was Glenn. So that's why they call it the Glenn. Wow. So it was originally started to stop um, drug-fueled violence crowding jails, um, you know, in the 1980s, I think it was. So they got these they got these lads who who had committed crimes while under the influence of alcohol or whatever else um, to this facility to try and get them well, try and get them away from that shit and get their lives back on track, um, and not clog the jars up. That's simply what it was, man. You know. Anyway, yeah. um, the guys who 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 started, as I said, he had a real connection to addiction and was touched by it as his son was um, was uh, was was you know he, he passed passed away in addiction so um basically all you see now the glen today all the rules written how it's sequenced all that sort of thing they were ahead of their time it is it is the best rehab facility i've been or been in contact with in terms of what you need to get well they make you work they make you do chores they're big on physical fitness they're extremely big on mindfulness all this stuff that's supposed to be cutting edge now They've been doing it for years. Yeah. They know it works, you know. And um, and I was just blessed. I was blessed that Uncle Glenn, he got me a start in this. Uncle Glenn, he used to work there as a head counsellor for 13 years. He knows this place back to front. By this stage, I had unlimited trust with him. I knew he was a good person. He knew 
me well enough that this was a place I had to go. Yeah. I trusted him, you know, in terms of this is where you're going, Ben. Okay, yes, sir. <laughs> so I went there. Um, anyway, so what you see now is not all that different from obviously it's developed in terms of how things are run and that sort of thing, um, obviously with technology and all that sort of stuff, but the basis of it is fairly fairly similar to how it started. They get results. Like it is an extremely, extremely good place. Um, so I was there. Um, I went in there. The, the program, program you do is 12 weeks. Um, so yeah, basically you've got no phone for two weeks, the first, first two weeks, um, limited outside contact. So if you can imagine it was COVID at the time too. So not only, um, have you got no contact, but you are literally not doing anything because you're locked down. <laughs> so, um, to be perfectly honest, it was a silver lining, man. It was hardest of the hard, but for a good reason, because all the shit that I'd built up and masked for so long and put down under a table, under a carpet, and not dealt with, come to the surface because I had to. I had no other reason. I'm I'm literally at a facility where there's no phones, there's limited contact, you're not no seeing other people. No distraction, man. Yeah. And you're getting in contact with what, yeah, you're drinking or you're drugging or you're doing whatever else, you're gambling, you know. Um, you're doing all these behaviours or whatever that, that are masking what's actually going on, but what is going on, you know, and that's what I had to find out. That I had to look deeper down in terms of why I was doing what I was doing, you know, and um, and the drinking and drug and all them behaviours, as they say, they're just the, they're just the coping. They're they're basically the end result for what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah the disease, as I learned in there, a disease addiction's a disease. They know that now, but it's actually disease with yourself. So yeah. you're either trying to feel amazing. Or you're trying to feel, you know, you're trying to cover something up. And that's what I realised in there, man, that I was I was never happy with normal. I'd either have to be high the high just because of that hangover from that high adrenaline, you know, sport or that drive that I craved, I always had to be on edge. Or because I felt so so much of my time down and about by myself, lonely in terms of travelling um, or with injury, I always had to get myself back up. So that evil level keel of what you consider normal life, I hadn't lived there. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. So whenever I felt that normal little bit of I'm sitting with myself, oh, there all these feelings are coming in, what's going on? Something's wrong. Drink or drug. Yeah. Do a behaviour that changes it, you know, and that's that's where my issues lie. That's where my issues will continue to lie. I'm an addict. I know that now. As, as someone's told me, you know, like addiction doesn't leave you. A light's a light, whether it's on or off. Yeah. If you put that light back on, it starts again. Yeah. Same thing with me, man. Same thing with me. I, I, I'm this makeup now, and for as hopefully as much good as I can do in the future, for young athletes, um, going back to the Glen and doing some work there as a case manager, helping helping these people, I know at the core of what makes me good is I've got to keep myself well. Yeah. I've got to do the stuff that makes me well so I can help other people. 100%. And the one key thing that I got from you when I got to speak on the phone with you was purpose. Yep. Dow, I've got my purpose now. Yeah. I know what my purpose is. My purpose is to help other people. Yep. And it's crazy. Like, it's something so simple and you had to go down this fucking tumultuous you know, road to get there. Yep. But it was the most beautiful thing to hear is like, Dude, I've got purpose. I know why I'm here for now. I know I'm waking up tomorrow. I know why I want to be better every day. 
because I want to be able to give back. I want to be able to help. But I also, you know, want to keep myself mm. healthy and happy yeah. and make sure that, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm doing the best for me as I can because the better I can do for myself is the more I can give and do for others. 100%, brother. Yeah. 100%. And that's, that is the... Obviously, me getting well—that is—that is the most important thing out of this whole thing. But as as you just mentioned before, in there through the spirituality of the place, um, the work I did myself, I've realised what I want to do with my next phase in my life. You know, I've worked with with the Newcastle Knights now for six years in a in a coaching capacity. Um, that's been awesome, you know, and I, I really want to be a coach one day in terms of assistant coach skills, whatever. Yeah. But one thing, you know, and I've spoke to them briefly about it now, is that using my story or my experiences now to help young athletes going through exactly the same shit that I dealt with for a long time, but not making the stuff-ups I made yeah. at crucial times. But not only that, understanding that everyone's different, everyone deals with stuff differently, get in touch with yourself and know know yourself well enough where you can see these red flags. I never saw them until it was too late, man, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and so getting that, basically that program in these same young kids who have got that same mentality that I have, I still have today, Yeah. but being able to harness that in a way where not only, okay, they're not, they might not make full-time football, but they're cut from a cloth where they can be a builder and they know in terms of what they're battling or they can be, some of them might be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, they yeah. can, they can see warning signs they can see uh, um, characteristics of themselves that have got to them, got to them where they are now. Yeah. But can obviously extend their career, whether it be athletically or when they finish, they know what to do, what not to do and the repercussions of going down the bad, bad path. hundred percent. And there's that, um, that saying where the focus goes, the energy flows. Hundred percent. And if you if you've got the um the tools and the ability to put your focus into something that's going to give you a positive result, that's a good thing. And the other thing that I don't think we touched on was the fact that Scotty Juro works for the NRLPA, yeah. works in welfare. Yep. One of your best mates. Yep. And that's like and like the other thing too, like with the masks and whatever else, is that you know you've got a guy who's one of your good mates, mm. know very well who works in this fucking specific part yeah. of the NRL. Yep. And you still slipped through. Still the don't cracks. know, man. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and I've had I've had to I've had to make amends and say that to people because because they a lot of people like a really common thing I hear is oh I didn't know, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know. You didn't know because I didn't want you to know. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, 100%. And, and if you if you're trying to hide something so badly that it's basically keeping whatever you're doing going, you'll find ways to mask it. Yeah. You know, and that was me to a T. So. You know, that's been a big thing moving forward is that a lot of people feel uh, grief or sadness or that they couldn't pull me up before I got to where I've got. Yeah, 100%. That's not what it's about. Don't, you know, and I don't want anyone listening to feel that way because cause almost like I had to be that lead charge. I had to go test everything out to make sure um, hopefully people in the future see it before they have to. 100%, you know? man. And, 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 yeah. And, and just like, I guess coming you know to the journey of where we are now you know we talked about going back you know having the conversation with the people you've if the relationships you've damaged along the way yep. what um the spirituality and the what you learn at the glend how much did that empower you to be able to give you the confidence because that's a fucking hard task to do man mm. like these people who you've let down you know we talked about megs yep. and 
um, you know, your mom, yep. like your, yeah. your brother, you know, coming out of there, the the self love that you were able to have with yourself and from your stuff from this time at the Glen in such a special place, you know, what was it like having the confidence to go and yeah, go right, hey, I, I own this. Yeah, I'm really sorry that I hurt yep. you along the way. Big part of getting well, and they talk about it is uh, and staying well is probably more obviously the most important thing is um, making amends, but loving yourself again yeah you know and, and making amends for things you've done owning it but in the same breath understanding that that's not you anymore you know the shit that, that's happened in the past that you've done own it you did it okay you put people in that position where situations are like they are from your behavior and that's a really hard thing for people to cop and I, and and a big thing that i had to learn in there but in the same breath Dal too is that you almost get freedom from owning it because it's a weight off your shoulder that you know that's done. I can't change that. All yeah. I can do is take that next step forward, be a better person. And with that, they see that with their own eyes. There's a saying, as soon as I got in there, they used to say, don't tell me, show me. And that's a really, really thi thing I, I hold really in all walks of life now. Everyone can talk a good game. Everyone can tell you, tell you what you're going to do, what they're going to, you know, all this stuff. Motion or actual action out of atomic habits is a big thing they talk about too in terms of you can plan something as much as you want, you've got to actually action it. Action it. You know? and, and, and people seeing you do this stuff now, being a good person day in, day out, trying to help people keep yourself well, you know, um, that, that holds more weight than any words can ever say. 100%. Actions speak louder than That's words. That's it, bro. That's it. Yeah. Now, mate, as I said, you know, we've, we've gone on this journey and I, I'm so happy that you shared this with me and we got to do this. Um, I, again, I love you. I'm so proud of you, man. And uh, I know there's a lot of people who are, are feeling the same as me, you know what I mean? And it's it's such an amazing journey and task and story and it's one that, you know, this is just the base and it's going to be amazing to to see what the next part holds for you and your future and what you can give back to, you know, the NRL and just the community in general with athletes because, yeah. you know, there's the only person who can educate you is the guy who's walked those fucking thousand miles in those shoes and you've worked yeah. plenty of miles yeah. in it. Now, to wrap this up, um, departing words of wisdom and advice, obviously you've dropped a lot on us here. Yeah. What Right now, what's something that you would say to um, – what, what's your departing words of wisdom and advice? Um. I just say don't never give up on yourself. Never give up on yourself. You know, like you might be in a place where everything's shit around you. Everything. You know, your your missus has left you, you lost your job, you got no money, you know, you're doing the same stuff every single weekend, whatever. You're not in a good place. You can change that. You can change that. But only you can do it. And you've got to believe in yourself that it can change. Yeah. It's not just gonna happen by itself by um, a force in nature. There's going to be things that will take you to places where spiritually you have to be awake enough to see that that's a reason why you are where you are. But you have to action it and never give up on yourself to actually make that change, you know. And, um, and um, yeah, bro. So. Beautiful. <laughs> Mate, again, thank you so much. Um, I'm so happy that we're here. You're here. We're smiling. Um, you know, I'm stoked, you know, I've got a daughter coming and I wanted to, I wanted to know her Uncle Benny. So, 
um, mate, I'm just so proud of you and you're going to do amazing things and if you even fucking try and slip back the other way, I'll make sure that you don't. So. Not happening, brother. <laughs> Not happening. It's but, over. But, Benny, thank you very much, sir. I love you, brother. Love thank you. Love you, brother. Bye. Legends, make sure you like and subscribe on all your podcasting platforms and head over to Instagram and check us out at to the point underscore podcast.